0: having a family. We're back for another week of taking notes. It is the holiday week, so if you are an educator, this is probably your last week before you reach that coveted holiday break where you can recharge, minus having students running around. So good luck to all those embarking on that. I'm excited. It's the holiday season, which means that there are gifts and I've got a couple for you in two great interviews to put a holiday bow on the experience of attending the People of Color Conference and the Student Diversity Leadership Conference put on by the National Association of Independent Schools. Because what's important to understand about the experience is that it is so enriching, transformative is the word you hear from students very often, that you have to be prepared for how students and faculty administrators and staff re-enter their school community. So to help with that, got Liza Toulousan, Dr. Liza Toulousan, who is an amazing DEI practitioner. She is someone who I respect greatly because she was able to come into my school community and do a professional development on Zoom that was captivating, held people's attention and gave people things to think about it. She does this all over the country she has a great book the identity conscious educator i would encourage all those in the field to check that out and so we're going to flip the order of the show a little bit so that we can really just enjoy the interview after this break i'm going to do uh who needs to come to the dean's office and the honor roll and then we're just going to let her interview play and that will be it so stay tuned Taking notes with Dr. John Carroll is powered by the Honeybody Collection. For quality personal moisturizing products from body wash to beard oil, visit the dot com today. In the Dean's office this week, I would love to be in conversation with the trustees of my of the University of Pennsylvania to understand their plan for leadership and succession following Liz McGill's appearance in front of Congress that went so badly that it ultimately led to her resignation. I also want to understand why, if she is no longer fit to be the leader of the university, then why stay on as a tenured law professor? I have an understanding of how that works, but I also want to, stand, un, want to understand how, if there's no real plan for succession, that you would let her resign. Why would you accept the resignation? So, trustees of my alma mater, I have questions. On the honor roll, I want to continue to give flowers to a young scientist named he Bekele, who at just 14 years old, has invented a soap to fight skin cancer. He recently entered the 3M Young Sciences Lab competition and won with his soap that not only replenishes the skin with dendritic cells, but it helps protect the skin and fight cancer. So salute to this young man. I hope he is getting all of the support that he needs to scale up this product because it is much needed throughout the world. All right. I am proud to say that someone I was hoping that I could get into the office to talk about POCC and SDLC. I managed to catch up with her. She is the person that many schools in particular go to when they need to fix or enhance their DEI work. We've certainly had her at our institution, and it went well, which is not an easy task. She is a professor. She has been uh, in education for more years than she probably would care to admit, so I won't give out the number, but she is the incomparable, I'll use that word, Dr. Liza Toulouse, and welcome to Taking Notes to John Carroll. How are
1: I you? I am today? fantastic. Thank you so much for inviting me. This is awesome and awesome, especially after you and I just came off of uh, the People of Color Conference. So I'm still, I'm still a little hot <laughs> from that energy,
0: <laughs> which is kind of, you know, what happens when you go to that conference, right? Like you definitely, uh, by design, come back recharged and and ready to, you know, be a change agent. And, an institution. So I wanted to start you with, though, do you remember your first POCC and what that was like? You
1: remember my first POCC? It was in 2015. And I am one of those folks, John, who made the transition from higher education to independent schools. Uh, I had like, I'd worked at independent schools way back in the early, early 2000s. But now looking back, like nobody told me about POCC when I was working in independent schools from 2000 to 2003. So we'll deal with them later. Uh, but I discovered POCC in 2015, the school that I was working at, of course, had a history of sending people. And, um, you know, in higher education, there are similar types of conferences. There's like the Conference on Race and Ethnicity, the uh, Student Affairs Multicultural Conferences. But those, uh, the distinction was, those were always kind of like diversity learning conferences. And I think people at POCC are very clear to say, this is not like a diversity learning conference. This is a personal renewal conference. This is a a for the people by the people conference. So it's slightly different take, but my first one was 2015. As most people have this experience, John, I remember walking into the main stage auditorium and I was like, oh my gosh, there's like 8,000 black and brown people, students, faculty, staff, administrators in this room. I don't think I had ever it's really hard to describe right like I don't think I'd ever walked into a space like that before and so uh it was everything it was a very emotional experience for me my first year what about you do you remember your first year
0: yes similarly so brand new teacher happened to go into an independent school that also had a history of sending folks and so you know For them it was like oh you definitely gotta go you're new and you're a person of color like this only makes sense and the same thing like oh my god what is this world that i've just stepped into um you know i referred to it last week because we did an episode on homecoming like it is literally the homecoming of people of color and independent schools and so just all the emotions that come with that right the reconnection if you've been there before you know the anticipation of what you're about to see if you've never been there before um we talk about you know being charged up at the end i remember you know, it's my first time here. Michael Eric Dyson um, and this is like prime Michael Eric Dyson. So he's giving you, you know, the mix of the scholar with the, with the rap lyrics and, and all of it. And I was blown away. Uh, B.D. Wong, who was the longtime actor on, you know, Law and Order was kind of the opening speaker and he was amazing. It was was uh, San Francisco. So yeah, I just remember thinking at the time, I, this, this, this is absolutely necessary for the world that I'm in because as at that time as an educator, this is before, you know, schools started having diversity mission statements, uh, before diversity, equity, inclusion officers and offices were in vogue. So this, you know, POCC at that time, and again, this is 99, 2000, was kind of the way for you to establish your network um, in the independent schools if you were an only, and, and kind of help develop your practice. So yeah, and then, you know, the, the 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 distinction and, and that you make between it being a personal affinity conference and a diversity learning experience. I love that because I feel like you know per while I wanted to talk to you, you speak very well to helping folks who are not you know of the community and have that affinity, you know what they should be expecting when they come to the conference. so you wrote you know I think five years ago, a letter. To, to the folks in love, you know, out of love, kind of encouraging them to understand what they're experiencing. Can you share with me kind of what was the greater context for you to do that, just besides kind of what were rumblings at the conference about, you know, people having a, you know, a distance between what they were used to, that homecoming feeling, and people kind of being either voyeurs or just looking to learn?
1: Sure, sure. And let's actually like name it really explicitly. We're talking about who those voyeurs are, are white people. So I just want to make no mistake about who we're talking about. So again, folks, it's the People of Color Conference. And uh, over the past couple of years, there has been an increase in the number of white teachers, white administrators, white leaders who've been coming to the People of Color Conference. And so, you know, I I know you've done some episode on the history of it. There's lots of other people who've done episodes on the history of the People of Color Conference. I had come to realize that uh, it certainly was beyond my pay grade to make decisions about whether or not white people should, be there. That is an NAIS decision. It's also a decision that individual schools are making as they send white teachers to this conference. So that's like way beyond my control. What had happened was I was on a bus. <laughs> it was one of those big hotel ones where you had a shuttle to get to the conference center. And I was sitting on this bus. I was pretty early and two white women had come on the bus and they sat like kind of just right behind me. And now remember, I'm psyched. I've been waiting for this all year. I have been waiting. I know that in five minutes from when that hotel and where I get off at the convention center center I know that I'm going to run into all these people of color it's going to be as you mentioned a homecoming hugs hellos I haven't seen you I'm so glad you're here and so I'm like excited right I cannot wait to immerse myself fully so these two white women sit behind me and they start talking about like oh yeah you know this conference I mean but really like What are we going to do that's not conference? Like, what kind of sightseeing should we do? Where should we go eat? Now, mind you, I like eating some good food locally, too. But that is not my first reaction when I'm getting on the bus to go to POCC, right? So I'm in my feelings. Like, if anyone knows me, I am so petty. I am so judgy. Like, every part of me wanted to turn around and be like, do you know where you are? Like, do you know where you're coming from? And also, you're so disrespectful. I wanted to say all the things, right? I didn't. It was early. I was like still kind of waking up to it. I'm not as hot as I am right now. But I had this moment, you know, like I, I really do when I'm feeling that kind of anger, John, I've gotten to the habit of asking myself the question, Liza, what is your reaction saying about you? Right? What is your reaction saying about you? Like, why are you so hot right now? Why are you so angry? And what I had come to realize, or at least this compassionate approach that I was trying to get myself into, because I also didn't want them to steal my joy in that moment, right? Because I was feeling Mm. so excited. Is I had a moment where I was like, you know what? Maybe they don't know. Maybe they actually don't know what POCC is about. Maybe they actually don't know how people of color wait 364 days to get there. Like, maybe they don't know. And so if I'm demonstrating a capacity for compassion, My next response was, how do I get them to know? How would they ever know if nobody ever told them? And then, you know, honestly, John, you and I have probably been in situations where we have, you know, faux pas our way through it or made mistakes or put our foot in our mouths because we didn't know either. Right. So in this very compassionate moment, I was like, you know what, let me help white folks understand what this is. Let me help them understand what their impact is. Let me help them understand from a loving and caring perspective what it means for them to be there because maybe, just maybe, nobody told them. And so that's where this love letter started to come out. And again, I feel kind of angry about it. I feel a certain way about it. And also, if you're there, then I want you to treat my community with love because black and brown people deserve love. And I want you to be a part of that. So that's where all of that originated from in terms of these love letters to white people as you show up to POCC.
0: And have you been approached? Has there been response from, you know, because you work in these schools, right? So people see you and they know, you know, so has what, what kind of response have you received, you know, in the moment and through the years taking that kind of stance or trying to help people understand that, help white colleagues. And some of them are allies. Some of them are co-conspirators. There's a range. Right. But what has been the response in that range?
1: So there's two responses, which are super predictable for me. One is gratitude and thanks. Prior to your message, Liza, you're right. I didn't know. Nobody actually told me what I should expect or do or how to engage as a white person at POCC. Like I just... I just I thought I was just going to come in and I thought it was going to be like any other conference, which you and I know it's not like any other conference. But how would you know that if you've never been or experienced it? So I do actually receive a, a lot of gratitude from white people who have gone. I will also say I've heard from white people who, because of my letter, they have made the choice not to go and have said, you know what, I actually don't know if I can show up the way that black and brown colleagues need me to. So actually thank you for your advice. I, I am going to seek other conferences where I can continue my learning that is not POCC. And I am so grateful for their level of awareness about, about that space. So the second, the other predictable response, and just, I, I feel like if you know me, you actually know what my response is. But the other response is, Liza, why are you welcoming them? I don't want them here. I don't know love letter like hit them hard tell them not to come like i don't understand why we need to treat white people with love and like i said listen that's beyond my pay grade i don't decide whether white people can go i just know that they're there and so to be very clear and i've said this i don't think it's a conference for white people it is the people of color mm-hmm. conference it's as if i was going to a conference that says it's a men's conference I shouldn't expect that as a heterosexual cisgender woman that I should be at that conference, right? And so, you know, you and I know it's kind of funky when people start talking about race. People think that they get to have certain permissions. But, you know, to be clear, I don't think it's a place for white people. I think there's so many other amazing conferences that are geared toward whiteness and white learning. POCC for me is not that. But if you are going to come, if you are going to come, I do want you to show up in a space of love and compassion and honoring the labor of black and brown people and their experiences.
0: I love that and, and it's, it's a reasoned stance and you know it's one of the things that in our office and our team to be you know keeping it 100 like you have it's it's one of the things we talk about like who do we send like you say it's in the schools control who do we send and how do they demonstrate that there is you know true interest in what the conference has to offer so that they are not creating the environment that you talk about, which does necessarily, definitely put, you know, a different spin on what that conference is when folks feel like they cannot show up in the ways that they need to, to get their cup full as the, as the conference is known for and be able to go back into their, um, you know, school environments. I would differ from you slightly in that I do feel much like in our scholarship, there are folks who genuinely dig into the work and do the work and produce, you know, great work. And in the school setting, you know, really move the needle forward. I think you need those co-conspirators. So if, you know, POCC is the only option that you have, great, because you are really going to be in the midst of the folks who are doing it, right? So, you know, every conference is going to get Goldie, Muhammad, and Chris ending in the same spot, right? Like this year. Right. Or like we talked about, you know, Dyson and BD Wong, just that menu. Um, But I wholeheartedly agree that, for example, in your letter, you talk about when when you're in those in those uh, workshops, how much space are you taking up? Right. Is that the moment where you need, you know, and should be taking time to take up air and ask for explanation, you know, or should you be sitting back and observing and and taking notes (laughs) Um, and then having a conversation when you get back with colleagues. So it's an interesting conundrum for, like you say, and how they market it.
1: Yeah. And, and in all, I'm like, in all fairness to white people, like it is, it's confusing, right? So on one hand, I don't want you taking up all the conversation space, but on the other hand, I'm like a little bit judgy when you're sitting there silent. On the other hand, I'm kind of like really excited that you're taking notes. But I'm also like, yo, stop taking notes, (laughs) like, right? So, I mean, even for me, like it's there's no winning for me, right? Like your behavior, there's no like one behavior of white colleagues that is going to be super satisfying to me at POCC. And again, the emphasis at POCC, right? Because I do go to lots of other conferences where I don't think white people have to navigate some of these expectations and tensions that I'm putting on them because the context is about people of color. So again, in all fairness to them, I think it's confusing. I think it's confusing about how they're supposed to show up or not show up or speak or not speak or move or not move, right? Like, And so that's, I mean, that's another reason why I wrote the love letter, because even if I'm getting all heated talking about it, I can only imagine what it must be like to have to navigate it and know that there's there's not a right answer. Like you're never going to be right at POCC as a white person just because the context wasn't for you. It wasn't built for you. There are other conferences that are, though, you know what I mean, that are really focused on racial solidarity around working together. Um, you know, again, for me, PSCC just isn't one of those spaces, but I'll chill. I'll hang out with you at other conferences.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So let's move forward to your reentry, which is another big thing. You know, we've mentioned it now and Oof. I'll come back to it again. Chris Hemden this year, and I just got to keep shouting him out, the brother just really did the job of of being the anchor, right? You mm-hmm. think about a relay. He took the anchor baton and just Carl Lewis did all the way home in Bolt, Whatever, whoever your person is right? in terms of really putting the call and reminding people of why we do this work and who it's for, which is the students, right? So if you're not... You know, protecting the babies, as he was saying, helping to teach the babies, speaking life over the babies. And what are you really doing? I'm always curious what you see from people when you work with them, Mm. how they make sense of that. Mm. Right. Because often some people probably their first call is like, we need to get, you know, Chris Endon or we need to get Liza Toulouse and to come and, and give us some more of that magic.
1: Mm. And so that so that right there to me is the key like what POCC does is it is three and a half days of feeling like I am amazing. Right. Because you can't go two feet without somebody validating or affirming you or, you know, I know we're on a podcast, but your sweatshirts, everything right. Black, proud and educated. And so everybody's rocking T-shirts and hoodies and sweatshirts with these messages of affirmation that you can't go two feet without being like, I am seen. I am loved. I am cared for. Uh, You could very much go back to your school (laughs) and not feel seen, validated, (laughs) cared for like real quick. Right. And so. I think part of the energy, whether it's like I want to go back and invite all these speakers or I want to go back and implement this thing that I learned in a workshop, that energy is real. And what happens is you go back to your schools with that same energy of validation, affirmation, truth telling, love, empowerment, and boom, you kind of get hit with the same wall that you had on Tuesday, which is eh, maybe not now. Mm, your energy's kind of a lot we kind of like how we do things and then you're left with oh my gosh like what just happened what am i what am i doing like where do i where do i take all of this love that is vibrating through my body and where where in my school community is that so it is a very natural reaction it's no it's no accident that like my inbox gets blasted right the day after pocc like can you come can you come can you come because i don't think that they actually want me i think they're looking for someone Who made them feel seen they're looking for anyone who made them feel important and validated and that their lives meant something in this work and it could have been me it could have been someone that they were standing in that really really long lunch line with right like it could be any but i think that's what people are seeking right like they're seeking that feeling of wow like i'm important i am good my people are survivors my people are worth studying I mean, what, I mean you do, you've you done re-entry like 15 times, my friend. Like, what has that been feeling like for you?
0: Yeah, I don't, uh, I shouldn't say I don't. In those early years, it was very much you felt like you had to explain yourself. Um, and there was a self-consciousness about that. Whereas at POCC, you are, you know, amongst. So there's no explaining. You just show up and you be, right? From, like you say, from the way we dress to how you wear your hair, to, you know, there's even now a growing, you know, Divine Nine movement. So it really feels like, you know, homecoming in that you get that type of expression culturally, right? And it, and it crosses, right? So I'm talking from my I experience as a black man, but you see it across the spectrum. And so, you know, as I got more veteran and certainly, you know, there was there was definitely a, a flashpoint uh, when I went back to grad school and came back into independent schools. Now it was that thing where it's like, no, I don't have to explain myself. Mm-hmm. Like this is this is part of my work. You know, you know. There's just there's just that thing that comes with age. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Goldie mentioned it. Like I know who I am. I know who I, I am. Know. Um, and you know, this is the work that I do. And if you don't like it, then I'll go someplace else and go where I'm valued to do it because mm-hmm. it is certainly necessary. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of been the switch, you know, for me. Um, but I know everybody doesn't have that,
1: right? Right. Like there might be some there might be some youngsters listening to your podcast who are like, oh, eventually does that happen? Cause that is not what I'm feeling. I feel like I am constantly having to defend why I needed a substitute for five days and where I was and why I didn't answer emails and why didn't you go why didn't you get your comments in? Like, but you're right, I agree with you. I mean, I think I'm at a stage in my career, in my age, where I'm like, I know who I am, y'all. Like this is who I am. This is me. I'm not trying to play, but I do know that we have some younger people in the field who are like, I'm not there yet. I'm not there. Like I, I, I'm constantly questioned. I'm constantly right under attack. I am constantly trying to figure out who I am in this world. And so, you know, I'm really grateful again for that. You and I are in this stage in our space where we know who we are. We know how we show up. We can say, "Well, if you don't like me, I'm going to go somewhere else because somewhere else is going to is going to value me. Somewhere else is going to love me." But I just want to validate for some of our folks who are newer to the field that, yeah, I appreciate that that might not be how you feel oh. right now,
0: right? Yeah, and, and I very much know that that wasn't how I felt in '99. You know, when I would when I went into the Black affinity space in '99, mm-hmm. it was like, oh my God, there are all these other people who are wondering how they are going to continue to be in this place, you know, how are they going to carve out a career in this place? You know, I I got here, but how am I going to stay here? Um, and all of those different things. And POCC is 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 wonderful um, for that. I wanna get one last thing from you before I let you go because, you know, DEI work, right? The work that you do and and, and really help schools with um, and in an excellent way, I will continue to stay. Um, is taking hits right now, right, as we think about what's going on in the world, right? And and you know, the, the big theme is that that out there is genocide, right? And you're seeing it all over the world, um, in different places. And so folks are asking, well how, you know, how does DEI and DEI offices, how do they show up to make sure that people continue to feel whole, people continue continue to feel seen and are part of that discussion, what is one thing, and and this is a huge question, but I'm sure you can handle it, what is part of that top thing that you say to schools and institutions or even corporations that you work with, this is what's the key thing that you have to get across right now in addressing all of the upheaval going on in the world where people's identities, you know, are feeling threatened.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I so on one hand, I mean, we certainly are experiencing a particular moment in time where we are seeing in particular a specific kind of like violence, both abroad and domestic. And so what I always like to remind people, even though I am only 47 years, no, I'm 48. Oh, I'm only 48 years young. Uh, I do know that for people who've lived twice as long as I have, they're like, Liza, this is not new. Like, Wait, this actually this keeps repeating and repeating and repeating. I just need to open up a good history text and go. Oh, you're right. Like this is not new. Okay, so on one hand, like this stuff is not new, right? On the other hand, the ways in which we access this work and the kind of conflicts and risks that come with it can feel very new. So you know, different from in 1964, we have TikTok, we have cameras, we have things that are like we can see things happening in real time. The other thing that's happening, though, is anybody is an expert, right? Anybody with a camera is a news source and everybody with a microphone or a podcast is somehow knows what they're talking about, right? So so that is, I think, the difference between how we're experiencing conflict today and what people might have experienced conflict like 20, 30 years ago. I will say, and this is the advice that I give everybody, whether it's personal advice or organizational advice, you have to be really clear about what your threshold for conflict and risk is. Like that, honestly, at the end of the day, like that's what it is for me, whether we're talking about the Middle East or we're talking about trans rights or we're talking about housing stability, we're talking about it. Like you have to know what your threshold is for conflict and risk. And you have to have a very open conversation about what you are willing to risk and what you are not willing to risk, because that serves as the foundation for how you move forward to everything. So if you say things like so much of our philanthropy is based on or from a particular group of people, are we willing to risk putting out a statement that could offend them and therefore pull the philanthropy? I think that's a very real conflict and risk you have to address. Some people will say, yes, it is worth it. At the end of the day, human rights are different from our capitalistic gains. Y'all, some other people are going to say, no way. If we lose that philanthropy, we shut down. We're done. We're over. And so, therefore, I tell schools, like, I actually can't answer the question for you. Mm. Once you tell me what your risk threshold is, once you tell me what your conflict threshold is, then I can help you. But if y'all can't even figure out what you are willing to risk, then there's no chance of understanding what your next steps are. So it's kind of like a vague answer there, John, but that is the thing that everybody's missing. They're missing this institutional conversation about, like, what are you willing to risk? That then guides our next step, again, whether it's around genocide, trans rights, healthcare, like at the end of the day, you've gotta figure out what your risk threshold is and then I can help you move forward.
0: And I would add to that, I'm curious what you think, you also have to think, what have we invested currently? Like what have we been doing, right? Because if 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 you haven't invested and been at the party and having conversations and laid any kind of foundation in terms of you know putting this out there into your community, you can't be expected that all of a sudden you're now going to you know, turn 180 and do the opposite of what you've been doing.
1: Right, right. I mean, we, if anything, education is rooted in tradition. And so many of us who are heads of schools or on the senior admin team, we have grown up through that tradition. And so it is really challenging for us to, to move against it. I mean, I think part of like, to bring it back to POCC, part of the heat and the energy that people come out of there from is like, oh my gosh, traditions can change. Things can change, movement can happen. And then they come back to school, back to your re-entry question and are like, oh, things are actually kind of the same. And so we have to be able to embrace that traditions can change. They are also very much rooted in however old your school is. But if we are willing to engage in challenging traditions, then we actually can move this work forward. If you're just if today's day one for you, bring it. If you've been in a tradition of engaging with social justice work as an institution, keep bringing it on. But that role of to your point, that role of tradition, the role of what have we been doing, that role of are we even willing to pivot 180? again i think falls into that conflict and risk phase but that takes courageous leadership doesn't it Absolutely. and courageous leadership courageous leadership is only going to be courageous if they understand that there are people who will also back you up like who is your crew who's going to support you and again i think it doesn't fall on just a board chair or a head of school like how courageous is your community to take to take steps forward is the big question
0: love it that's a great place for us to stop i hope that we can do this again because, you know, I get to see you every now and again because we bring you to school and, and of course, POCC. (laughs) But I I would love to be able to do this with you more often because there's so much for you to share. And and again, for our audiences that don't get to have you in schools, I think there's there's value in hearing you. So Liza Toulouse, we thank you. Hope you have a great holiday. And thank you. And you doing all that work.
1: Thanks so much. And I will continue to take notes, everybody. Take notes with Dr. J. Make it happen. Oh, that's high praise
0: right there. I wanted to use that for a drop that's it for this piece of this week's episodes again stay tuned we got a double header say so I got Dr. Rodney Glasgow coming up next so check that out hope you enjoy it. Dr. Toulouse I get the impression we'll be talking again really enjoyed kicking it with her keep checking out taking notes see you soon The views expressed by John Carroll and his guest in the preceding podcast are solely that of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers, companies, or other associated parties.